Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. Open House Around Australia with Lee Hatcher. And now, the human condition. Yes, and tonight we wrap up our series of conversations on friendship with our resident clinical psychologist and human condition guru, the fabulously popular Lynn Worsley. We've covered a wide range of issues and dynamics in friendship. Lynn, welcome back. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Great to see you and hear you. So we're wrapping up tonight looking at uh, initially vulnerability in friendships. Why should we do that? Yes. Now, um, I thought that it would be really um, interesting to have a little look at some research by a social worker um, called Brene Brown. Okay. Um, she's a social uh, researcher and she does similar um, work to what we've done here in with Hugh McKay in um, Australia. But what she's done is actually looked at some research around the area of shame and that people who carry shame. And the reason I bring this up in, in terms of friendships... Yeah, it's a bit curious, yes. Yes, is that friendships, people avoid friendships because they don't want to be exposed. They don't want to be exposed to their own shame, to the things of their own vulnerability. We spoke about this last week, that yeah. we're in friendships and as in other parts of life, we're often stretched beyond our comfort zones. But yes. There, you, you always say there's good in that. Yes, there is. And and I think um, the key to this is that when um, Brene Brown started to do the research, what she found was that um, as she went into it, she discovered more and more that people who had shame were actually also numbing their shame or blocking their shame because they didn't want people to see them. They didn't want people to get really close. So what they did was that they'd put up a barrier and they put a barrier up so that people don't see them. And in order to put the barrier up, they might mask that um, the barrier by, you know, drugs and alcohol, but maybe simple things like overeating and overworking and doing a number of things that mean that it avoids people from getting close to them. Yes. Um, and she, she gave some great examples in her research of people who would, um, you know, be quite obese. And that would actually meant that people wouldn't get close to them at all which was tragic. And she also looked at people who were working so hard and avoiding spending time with their intimate relationships because they're working so hard because they, again, didn't want to be exposed to their shame. That's interesting, yeah. It, and, uh, and that also, too, meant that they became quite lonely. And the more lonely they became, the more shame they experienced. It's a vortex into That's which right. they sucked, yeah. But she also looked at some of the research that looked at um, the pain that was associated with that great void that is there um, and that she said that what happens is people then try and numb the pain by yes. working more and more and taking more and more drugs or using more alcohol or you know abusing themselves. But at the same time as they numb the shame and the pain, they also numb the other emotions that are really important for our survival. And the other emotions are love, joy, peace, and uh, you know compassion, the things that in us that actually help us to relate and enjoy life. So, so not only are we numbing the shame, yeah. we're numbing the good things as it, well. It's making our lives worse. I mean, you rattle those off. They sound like the start of the fruit of the Holy Spirit to me. That's right. So here we have this sort of dimension where we've got shame in the same category or same box or same part of our lives as love and joy and peace now that doesn't seem to make sense no 
but it does make sense when we actually start looking at how do we deal with our shame how do we deal with the things in us that we're not really happy about and the way we deal with that is that we actually make ourselves vulnerable and expose ourselves and expose ourselves yeah and it isn't until we make ourselves vulnerable and expose ourselves in friendships that we start to experience the joy okay so if i'm so kind of ashamed of my shame and if i'm avoiding that contact how am I going to turn that around? So it's fine, okay, I agree with that. And you've been very consistent in saying expose ourselves to that shame and pain. But how do we do that if that's our problem in the first place, I suppose? I think it's a courage. It's yeah, courage okay. to share. And it's courage to be close to people. And courage to take that extra step. And I think each of us would know when you're at, actually at a point where you've got close to someone and then you pull back. You pull back because you don't want to expose yourself or you yes. don't want to talk about that or you don't actually share something in a group or when you're with people, you, you don't tell them a story or so on. And one of the things that you notice in friendships is when you actually start sharing some of the difficulties that you're going through, the other person then does the same. Yes, that's right. That's yeah. a very common dynamic. Yes. Yeah. And so that oftentimes that means that you go to, to another level. Yep. But when you do share your difficulties and your, and your hard stuff and someone doesn't share back with you, oftentimes what happens is that you then feel like you've been judged. So it's really important for us to know that when we're in a friendship, that sharing is vitally important yeah. for both sides. So one of the key things here is that in order to be vulnerable, you need to be able to share. You share your difficult times and your good times. And if something's shared with you, you in turn, not unnaturally, but you no, do that back. That's well. right. That's yeah. right. And, I, and again, that's part of being vulnerable. And there is a whole movement now since Brene Brown's work in America called vulnerability. You know, learning to be, have, doing, they call it doing vulnerability, which I think is a little bit of a weird thing to say, but it's, it's actually <laughs> learning to be vulnerable. Yeah. And the number of people that have picked this up and have been so frightened of it um, is amazing because it is so countercultural that's in right. this age of confidence and I've got to put on this front I, I wonder whether the confidence thing or self-confidence or confidence maybe ultimately in God is another thing that helps us with our view of ourselves that enables us to be vulnerable I think so I think not just our confidence in God but also being able to be exposed to God and that God sees our shame, but he doesn't really see our shame. He sees us. Yeah, and we're honest about ourselves as he is honest yeah. about us. And that's where prayer comes in. That's where um, forgiveness comes in. That's where coming to God and explaining and talking to him about what we've done and what we're ashamed of and asking for forgiveness is such a wonderful cleansing um, experience Yes, and is enabling us to move to a zone of vulnerability but also, again, that experiencing the fruits of the Spirit, which are love and joy and peace. And, and I think, again, when we look at friendships, to have a deep friendship with Jesus Christ um, is a wonderful friendship. There were ways in which when he lived and related to people and taught, he would inform this, wouldn't he? Yes. 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 And, and he, he's one of those, it's a, it's a forever friend 
It's the friend that we have for a lifetime through yes. our reason season and, and for a lifetime. But the friend that actually does see all of our shame yet continues to love us. Yes. And, uh, and I think, too, when we start looking at how we start reaching out to other people and ena- enabling our really good friends and the people we love most, our spouses, and loving them is helping them to be vulnerable, helping them to feel safe and not judging them for what they're doing. Yes, he showed great acceptance with numbers of people that he yes. brush up against. Yes, I think of the woman at the well. And, you know, that was such a beautiful story in that he looked right into her and he, she didn't feel judged. She just knew he knew all about it. <laughs> yes. So, so here she was in this situation where she was exposed, yet she felt loved. And that is what we need to be able to do. And in a sense, she was vulnerable yeah. and she let herself be vulnerable. So he is not just our refuge, but he's, he's the one that we as Christ followers need to follow in that yeah. as well. Yeah. In the lives so how does that play out as us as Christian friends? Yeah. I, I think it's actually a huge, courageous um, acts that we have to start learning to do. But and what potential? What potential? Yeah. And, you know, we have friends that might do things wrong or might hurt us, but our task is not then to protect ourselves and to become judgmental and shut them down. Our task is to actually love them as Christ does. Yeah. And if we're going to be really good friends, then we will love them for their sake, um, not for our own sake. And people would say, well, that's costly. It's costly. Well, look at Jesus. Yes, Yes. but it also means that when you're dealing with difficult friends, and we do, um, that oftentimes making decisions that Christ would make sometimes takes us completely out of our comfort zone. It may actually mean there are times when you do walk away from a friendship in order to help that friend, but you don't do it for your own gain. So there are times where you might need to make decisions that are helpful for them, not necessarily for you. That'll be a tough thing to judge because I'll probably still be driven more by it being about me rather than that's right. what they might need. That's right. And that's because we're human and no, we're not going to be able to do this perfectly. Well, you are. No, I don't think so. <laughs> but again, I love that. What would Jesus do? Yes. And when course. you have a friendship that is really difficult to actually ask, what would Jesus do? And the first thing that we know he did was to look at what that person needs and what it was. That, and sometimes that means they have to um, experience some pain themselves. Yep. And he knows that that's possible for them um, or probable for them and he knows that he's going to be with them but it also means that we start to think about what they need rather than what we need in a friendship yeah and uh, you know that we've got some brilliant examples in the way that Jesus related to people yes indeed if I go back to the shame thing it is such a relational dynamic and such a fear really that touches us all but but at different levels it does and the shame The shame aspect is such a a deep thing that each of us carry. It's not just for some. Where does it come from? Why why is this such a consistent thing, as you put it, in the human condition? That's a really good question. I really don't know. It's a very good question. Every once in a while I come up with one. (laughs) Because I don't know where the shame comes from. If it's such an inherent thing. And it was interesting because Brené Brown was asking that sort of question as well and she wanted to know where it came from. And her qualitative research, which was she went around and asked people questions and got lots and lots of people's um, transcripts. and, And from that she discovered that really 
everybody carried shame, a shame that we're not good enough, a shame that no one's going to like us, a shame that, that, that we might, might have done something wrong and somebody will have, we've been upset with other people around us. So this shame is really about our relationships with other people. And maybe ultimately our relationship with God. If we live in this sinful and fallen world, there's stuff to be ashamed of, I suppose. That's right. Without that's right. perhaps even realising. That's right. How much we're and, uh, and our natural inclination is to protect. Our natural inclination is to find some way of being protected. Yes. In our attachment studies, what we know is that those people, that, that all of us, as as we develop, will will develop behaviours in order to get other people to protect us. So even the narcissist who's had poor attachment in the early life will do things to make sure everyone protects them. Mm. Um, so they'll they'll make sure everyone looks at them or that they become the centre of attention. We're probably pretty good at burying this shame, yes, and not showing it. That's right, yeah. and and I and we do it in a number of ways, and a number of ways that mean that it becomes quite functional in our lives. It's functional then to work hard and not have too much time to share with anybody. It's functional to to go out and drink with your mates and then you, you, you drink too much and therefore you, you're not really yourself anyway. Yes. Um, it's functional to eat too much. It's functional to spend time um, being perfect and doing everything perfectly yes. so we don't get into trouble. Yeah. Uh, I, I think also too we've, we've got to um, change how we're raising our children. Okay. And uh, what we've got at the moment is a raise, raising our children with this notion that we've got to try and make everything perfect for them. Yeah. And we've got to protect them and make everything so that they have this wonderful childhood. We spoke uh, about this last week. Yes. yes. Yeah. And, and what we really need to be starting to think of is that the children are hardwired for struggle. They're hardwired for struggle. They are meant to be struggling in this life. And until we get that into our heads, we're not going to be able to train them of how to struggle through life. And they will be okay. And they will be okay. And they're not perfect. And they're going to have flaws. And yet, that's okay. So when we, we say, yes, you, you're a beautiful person. You're a beautiful person inside. But you're going to have mistakes and you're going to make, make have problems and, and so on. And that's okay because everybody's the same and we're going to work with that with each other. And, and this each other. nurtures resilience. This nurtures resilience. The light has dawned. But it does, really. <laughs> it does. Yes. It does. So that hard wire for struggle is a beautiful thing to be able to teach our children and to actually teach ourselves that we're going to prepare them for life, not protect them from life. There's great Worsley wisdom in that. <laughs> well, this has been a really interesting, as all of our conversations are on friendship over the last few weeks, well worth catching uh, on our podcast page of our Open House community website. Uh, take us to next week. We're going to be putting the boxing gloves on and dealing with conflict. Yes. This is a universal part of the human condition. Yes. We're going to have a little look at conflict and yeah. see how conflict occurs in our brains and how it occurs in our relationships and perhaps our churches and our organisations and what is the good part of it and what's the not so good part of and it. And hopefully how to resolve a bit of it as well. Yes. I'm sure. Lynn Worsley, as always, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.